feeling empty and exhausted, helpless, trying to figure out what is going on. It's been tantrum after tantrum, and no matter what you try, nothing seems to be working. I mean, no one said anything about this side of parenting. You sit in the bottom of the stairs with your head in your hands, and you begin to say the words, God, I just, and then the words escape you. You've stood firm in your values and watched friend after friend disappear. Even worse, they've started blasting you on social media, calling you names like prude and weirdo and Jesus freak. The looks and the whispers just don't seem to stop, and now your best friend starts ghosting you. You put your face down in your pillow and begin to say the words, Heavenly Father, and then you just start to cry. You get the sense that this is a life-altering decision. You want to do what is the will of God, but what does that even mean in this instance? You had all of the plans for your life figured out, and, and this could alter it all. Your head is loaded with questions and not many answers. You step outside for a second and let out a, a deep exhale and begin to say the words, God, I know you know my days, but, but I and then simply can't find the words, not knowing what to say next. It just feels like it will never end, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter who you talk to, it's the same unrelenting feeling. You feel like your prayers only make it to the ceiling and come crashing back down to the ground, and you cry out, Jesus, where? And you hear the words, it's cancer. There was another shooting. I think it's time we see other people. You're gonna need to start looking for another job. You didn't make the team. We're moving. I don't love you anymore. He's not gonna make it. She just lost the baby. There was an accident. And you stumble outside and, and stop. And you close your eyes and just breathe, God. Just, just breathe. And you barely get out the words, Jesus. Oh, oh, Jesus. You ever been there? Finding yourself in a space not knowing how to pray or, or what to pray for. Yeah, me too. Probably way more often than I actually care to admit. And here's what I'm certain of this morning. Each of you fall into one of three categories when it comes to suffering, trials, and tribulation mentioned above. It's on the horizon, you're currently in it, or it's in your rearview mirror. You see, regardless of where you find yourself this morning, the truth of the matter is we all will eventually find ourselves in a space where the right words to pray escape us. And it is within that very space where words escape us or, or we don't know what to pray or how to pray that we enter in today's passage. But before I begin, I just want to take a moment and welcome those of you who are here for the very first time or have come back after having attended one of our Easter services last week. It is so awesome that you're here. And we're in the midst of a series right now, one of the most famous and beautiful chapters of the Bible, Romans 8. We're calling it Life in the Spirit. And we're going verse by verse for nine weeks. And the good news is, this is week seven. And it's a great time to jump in. And to be honest with you, it's a great time to finish it out with us over the next couple of Sundays. So here's what I would just ask, that you finish this series out with us. Make it a priority for the remainder of the month. Because I promise you this, God always honors it when we prioritize and invest in our souls. So with all that said, we're gonna be focusing on Romans chapter eight and looking specifically at verses 26 and 27. So you can go ahead and grab your Bible or digital device and get to Romans 8. And for those of you who are brand new, I want to encourage you to go to your app store right now and type in the word version. Seriously, I want you to do that. Take the 30 seconds to search for it. And when you do, it will bring this image up on the screen. Click on that image and, and put it on your phone. Seriously, do that right now. Because for those of you doing that right now, you just put the most life-altering resource in the palm of your hand, the very word of God at your fingertips. That's so cool. All right, Romans 8. Let's take a couple of minutes to recap what we've covered thus far. 
Remember that the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, verse 1, that the whole reason he's writing this letter is to declare the good news. And the good news is this, that God saves sinners like you and me. God does the saving. We don't. There's actually nothing we can do. We cannot earn it. You see, it's a gift from God that is freely given to all those who put their faith in his son, Jesus. Chapters 1 through 7 expound greatly on this good news, which we don't have the time to get into because I need to recap the last six weeks. So chapter 8 begins with an astonishing statement. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason why, as Paul continues in verse 2, is that through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's a big deal. You see, Paul is saying right here, because of all that he lays out in chapters 1 through 7, that those who believe in Jesus are not counted guilty and will not be punished on the day of judgment. And that is such good news because the fact is we all sin. I mean, think about it for a second. If we didn't sin, the question of condemnation wouldn't even come up. But the truth is we do. And Paul knows that we sin, so he's saying there is no eternal punishment for Christians, even, even though, even though, try as they may, they will eventually sin again. And the law says those who sin shall die. But for those who put their faith in Jesus, and this no longer applies, because Jesus experienced the consequences of sin and paid for it once and for all. Through his life and in his death, Jesus satisfied all the requirements of the law, both its commands and its penalties. It cannot demand anything more. And then Paul goes on and tells us to set our minds not on the flesh and its desires, which is what we did prior to, but to set our minds and be led by the Spirit, to serve the desires of the Spirit, not the desires of the flesh, which are hostile to God. And he goes on to remind us that those who are of Jesus receive the gift of the Spirit when God adopted us as his own children. And since we have God's Spirit residing inside of us, we can confidently call God our Father. But Paul doesn't stop there. He declares that not only are we God's kids, but we're also his heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And at this point, I'm just like, yes, bring on the blessings, bring on the riches, bring on the favor, rain down on me some goodness. Give me some of that internal blessing. But then Paul, right in the middle of the chapter, takes a turn, which sets up a theme for much of the remainder of the chapter. You see, Paul says when our lives are placed in Christ, then we share in his life, both the good and the bad. Yes, we share in his death and resurrection and the righteousness that accompanies it, but we also share in his sufferings. You see, even though the price has been paid, even though we have been given the advance payment of the Holy Spirit as a seal of salvation, the struggle through the depravity of sin's curse will continue. Paul talks of how creation even was subjected to the effect of sin, itself being subjected to futility, and how it longs for God's work to be completed. So Paul says the creation's gonna continue to suffer. And then he turns his attention to us. He says, we too will still suffer. We'll struggle with sin. Our bodies will still decay and pain and sorrow and suffering will still be a part of the story. This is evident in the groanings of this life that Pastor Derek mentioned last week. Groanings of brokenness and despair, groanings of loneliness and hurt, groanings and cries out to God to come to our aid because we'll, we'll still experience sickness and disease and cancer and death, loss and anxiety and fear. Look at what it says in verses 23 to 25. It says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, Paul is telling us, yes, you have been justified by faith alone. Yes, you are sealed with the Spirit. And yes, there is a future glory that awaits, but you are still in the middle of God's redemption story. 
And then Paul lasers in on the hope that this provides. And the hope is this, that we already know the end of the story, a glorious homecoming that awaits us with Christ Jesus our King. Read on, it says this, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, it is the hope that one day we will finally be at home with Jesus for eternity. Gang, that deserves one heck of an amen. That is what Paul is referring to when he says we should cling to the hope of glory that awaits us to endure through the present sufferings of this world. And so that is where we left off and where we begin today. And we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Likewise, pause. Let's stop right there. Let's take a really quick, really quick look about the importance of how our text starts out with that word likewise. Paul uses the word likewise, or in some translation it says, much in the same way. You see, we can't miss what Paul is doing here. This is very important as he is connecting a thread to the previous subject of hope that we just talked about a second ago. See, what Paul is doing is he is referring to the fact that much in the same way that we cling to the hope in Christ, we also can cling to the hope in what the Holy Spirit is doing. And to find out what that hope looks like, now, let's pick it back up and read that verse in its entirety. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now listen, there's so much good stuff in here, gang. So with our remaining time, we're going to explore a couple of things. We're going to explore the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the context of our weakness. We're going to explore two ways he goes about carrying that purpose out, and then what that means for us. Now, some of you just heard me say weakness, and there's this deep ethereal response happening within you right now, isn't there? You hear the word weakness and find yourself thinking, well, that might be that guy over there two seats over, but that ain't me. I come from a long, proud lineage of strong men. Probably doesn't even own a, own a gun or know how to shoot it. Probably doesn't even own a power tool either. Never learned how to change his own oil because he was too busy buying and shopping for them skinny jeans. <laughs> I have no idea why I did it in that voice. But then there are some of you, there are some, listen, listen. Then there are those of you who played or are actually currently playing sports and you've heard a coach a time or two tell you in the midst of you being like doubled over in pain and exhaustion that pain is just weakness leaving the body, kid. Get back up because you're stronger than you think you are. I mean, I even had a coach once say to, say to me once, he's like, listen, around here, Scott, we eat weakness for breakfast. What does that even mean? I mean, I hear that now and I've got questions like, what happens after you digest it? Even more puzzling, like, what does it look like when it comes out the other side? <laughs> and you know, I've always been told by docs that you are what you eat, so help me make sense of that one. I mean, you do get how silly that sounds, right? The problem, though, is that we as a culture have bought into this negative perception of weakness. Think about it for a second. When was the last time you asked for help? Even better, maybe even admitted you had no idea what you were doing. It just doesn't come naturally. So look, why? Well, it's because our society celebrates and glorifies the strengths of the individual. We elevate this idea that you and me, we don't need anyone else. We use phrases like, do it yourself, in my own strength. I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman. I've done this, I've accomplished that. Look at all I've built. 
And then I read the words of Jesus in John 15, 5 that says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you and I, we can do nothing. You still not sold on your weakness? Okay, then do me a favor. Think back to the last time you did what you didn't want to do. Couldn't help it even though you knew better. And you sinned yet again. You see, gang, you and me, we're weak. And that's where the Holy Spirit enters and offers hope. Which brings me to our big summary idea for today. We desperately need the Holy Spirit living in and through us so we can be confident in our weakness. And grammatically, the word that, Paul's is, that Paul uses for weakness is singular, and that's really important, which means that there is a specific weakness Paul is referring to. Look at the first half of verse 26 again. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You see what the weakness is? It's our prayer life. Let's face it, sometimes we're like the disciples in the garden. We want to pray. We get up before the sun is even up, or we lay down in bed with our, the intention of spending time in prayer to like close out the day, and within three minutes, we're out cold. We don't know what to pray for, and we don't know how to pray it. And then there are the examples we started out with. We know that we ought to pray, but simply don't know what to say or how to say it, stopping after a couple of words in. You see, it's a two-part problem. And the particular struggle that Paul is addressing in our passage, we're too weak and feeble apart from God, and we don't know how to pray as we should. Which brings us to the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this reality. You see, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit helps us. And this shouldn't come to a shock, to a shock to us, right? Like this is the exact role Jesus described to his disciples the last night he was with them as it related to the Spirit. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then a couple verses later, he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whoever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I mean, how awesome is that? One of the main roles of the Spirit is to help. And I don't think Jesus did that or said that by accident. You see, he knew what we just don't care to admit, that we're weak and we need help. So it shouldn't surprise us when we read in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's in his very nature to help. But check this out, the Bible is so cool, gang. The word helps is translated from this Greek word that I'm gonna butcher, it's called sun antilambano. And when you break it down, it provides such a powerful picture. So let's start with the last two words of this word. The word anti simply means facing each other. And the word lambano simply means to take or to hold something. Pretty straightforward, right? But this is where it gets good. Take a look at the meaning of the word sun. Sun means a union or together with. And to get the depth of this word, picture the end result of making delicious homemade biscuits. Once you have mixed all the ingredients together and then bake them, it's impossible to separate the ingredients again. This is the kind of union that Sun is referring to. So to drive, drive the depth of this whole entire word home, let's put them all together. Imagine you're really struggling to move a heavy log. Like you just can't move it on your own no matter what you try. And frankly, you don't even know how you're gonna do it by yourself. Then along comes another person, sees you struggling, and offers to pick up the other end, of, on, uh, other end of the log to help. One is on each end of the log, 
And as you face each other, you work together to carry the log. The difference is, is that they never tire or grow weary. And much in the same way, Paul's intentional use of this word reminds us that the Holy Spirit's purpose is to help us in our weakest of not knowing how to pray for as we ought. That's so cool, isn't it? Now, I want you to hold on to that image as we keep going. Okay? Okay. All right. So, we've learned thus far that we are weak and feeble apart from God and that we oftentimes don't pray for as we should. But we also learned that we're not alone, that the Spirit is there with us to help us in our weakness. So now let's look back at our passage to discover how the Holy Spirit carries this out. Look at the second half of verse 26. It says this, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So let's look at two ways the the Spirit helps you in your weakness. And the first is this. The Spirit intercedes with groanings. It says here that the Spirit intercedes for us, or in some translation it says on our behalf. Ready for, for the first comfort here? The verb intercedes is in the present tense, which means that the Spirit is continually interceding on our behalf. And the word picture is of someone bringing a petition to the king, intensely pleading on behalf of someone who is in trouble. Continually, without ceasing. I mean, don't you wish our words had as much meaning like that? But that's not the best part, though as it's about to get better when we take a look at how the Spirit intercedes. We read that he does it with groanings too deep for words. Now let me be quick to point out that this is not the same groanings that we read earlier in the chapter when it talks about the creation and the believer groaning. Because in both instances, Paul is using a slightly different word. And that's a good thing because both the creation and us as God's created beings are limited. But the Spirit is not. Nor is it the notion of speaking in tongues, which some have claimed this verse to allude to. Now listen, I'm not claiming, hear me on this, I'm not claiming that the the spiritual gift of tongues isn't a thing. I'm just saying that in all my research, it is clear that the gift of tongues is not what Paul is referring to here. And the main reason for this is that the word used for groanings here only shows up one other time in the entire New Testament. And it's in the book of Acts, in Stephen's sermon to the Pharisees, when he's talking about the time Moses heard the voice of God from the burning bush. Take a real, real quick look with me with this. It's in, it's in Acts chapter 7, verses 32 to 34. It says, And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your seat, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them. So here we have Moses and, and God comforts him, saying that God has seen the afflictions caused by the Egyptians and he has heard the Israelites groaning. This is important. You see, the Israelites were experiencing a kind of affliction so great, so overwhelming, that they didn't yet have the words to articulate what they were feeling and experiencing. But yet God's response is that he hears them. That is the same exact word Paul uses to describe the Spirit's groanings. It carries the same weight, the same urgency, the same intense pleading. But unlike the Israelites' groanings of being limited, the Spirit's groanings are not. And the reason why is we must remember that the Holy Spirit is one with God, just like Jesus is one with God. So if God never tires, nor does the Holy Spirit tire or grow weary, we should take great comfort in this church. But there's more. You see, not only are the Spirit's groanings constant, they are clearly known in accordance with the will of our Heavenly Father because of what verse 27 says. Take a look with me, and it says this. 
It says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Which highlights the second aspect of the help the Spirit provides. You see, the second aspect is the, he intercedes according to the will of God. Now recall, Paul's context of writing the second half of Romans 8, back in, chapter, back in verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17 say, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And here's the key. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. You see, trials, tribulation, persecution, sufferings, these were all hallmarks of the world in which they navigated on a daily basis. You see, gang, we can't have the glory without the suffering. We're called to walk as Christ walked. And when you read his story, suffering and the glory that was to be revealed went hand in hand. And if we're being honest, most of the time when we are in the midst of suffering, we're inclined to pray for our problems removal. Like being patient and and trusting in God that, that he's using whatever we're going through for his greater purposes just seems too difficult. Instead, we find ourselves questioning the will of God. We find ourselves asking the question, How does cancer line up to the will of God? How does heartache or death or disease or sickness or brokenness or despair, how does this possibly line up with God's will? Remember what Pastor Derek said last week. We cannot forget that we are in the middle of God's redemption and restoration project. The curse of sin sin still wields its sword and will continue to do so until Jesus returns. Until then, we will suffer. I mean, even the Apostle Paul prayed three times that God would remove the thorn in his flesh that we read of in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And the answer he received should have been what he prayed for, like for its removal, but God didn't. Instead, God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, Paul could have pouted, He could have gotten angry at God. He could have turned his back on him, walked away because God failed to answer his prayer the way that he thought he should. But Paul didn't. He chose to embrace the suffering. Look at Paul's response. He says this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That type of response does not happen without the work of the Holy Spirit interceding on Paul's behalf to align Paul's mind to the mind of Christ. Let's be honest, church. We don't know whether we should pray for this or whether we should pray for that because we just don't know the will of God. And to those of you thinking, then what's the point in praying? Here's the real short answer. Because prayer is vital to a life of faith because it draws us closer to the heart of God. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Psalm 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And despite the discrepancy between what we see and want to the actual will of God, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit does what we cannot. Remember our summary idea. We desperately need the Holy Spirit living in and through us so we can be confident in our weakness. He will see you through. 
And the reason why he sees you through is found in verse 27. Look at what it says. It says this. It says, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Gang, this is the most precious of truths and is actually a wink to the power and majesty of the Trinity at work in our lives. You see, the phrase, he who searches hearts, is like a tip of the hat to no other than God himself. Here are a couple verses that actually speak to this in other places in the Bible. Jeremiah 17 through 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Acts 1, 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who knows the hearts of all men. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thought. Which means that God knows the mind of the Spirit and the Spirit knows the will of God. Dr. Wayne Barber captures this idea beautifully. He says this, he says, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit and God the Father are one. This is why the Spirit intercedes for God's people, you and me, in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit doesn't have to ask the Father what his will is because the Holy Spirit is God. And all of that happens because of the union we have with Jesus as our Lord and Savior through whom we pray. This is why we desperately need the Holy Spirit living in and through us. So when you find yourself at the bottom of the stairs with your head in your hands and begin to say the words, God, I just, and the words escape you. When you put your face down in your pillow and begin to say the words, Heavenly Father, and then you just start to cry. When you step outside for a second and let out a deep exhale and begin to say the words, God, I know you know my days, but I, and then simply can't find the words not knowing what to say next. When you hear the words, it's cancer. There was another shooting. I think it's time we see other people. You're gonna need to start looking for another job. You didn't make the team, we're moving. I don't love you anymore. He's not gonna make it. She just lost the baby. There was an accident. And you stumble outside and stop. And you close your eyes and you're just like, just breathe. Just breathe. And you barely get out the words, Jesus, Jesus. Don't you lose hope because the Holy Spirit is at the other end of the log interceding for you to your heavenly Father. Remember, you're God's kids and he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. So let me close with a couple of real quick next steps. Number one, keep memorizing portions of Romans 8. Try these short two verses on for size. Write them on your heart so that the next time you feel overwhelmed and cannot get the words out, it brings to mind the powerful image of the Holy Spirit interceding for you in the way that we explored today. And the second is this, explore prayer this week. For some, this might be actually trying to pray more. For others, it might be just sitting in a quiet space and just saying the words, Abba, Father, and picturing the Holy Spirit interceding for you and the, and the thing you've brought to him. But whatever the case may be, Invest some time this week to pray, knowing that God loves to hear from his kids and remembering that all of this was made possible because of what Jesus accomplished by his death and resurrection, because he's our living hope. Love you, gang. Keep being awesome for Jesus.